You're tuned in to More Living with Jim Brogan, broadcast live from the Brogan Financial Studios at News Talk 98.7, where old-fashioned values, expert knowledge, and genuine understanding come together to give you the retirement straight talk you deserve. Jim's a former National Advisor of the Year recipient and a financial educator, and he's here today to talk about how you can live out the best years of your life. Jim and the Brogan Financial Team have been helping retirees and pre-retirees across the Southeast for over 20 years in their pursuit of financial independence. You can reach them during the week at 865-862-6800. So sit back, relax, and get ready to learn, because more living with Jim Brogan starts now. Hello, East Tennessee, and welcome to More Living with Jim Brogan, where it's all about living the best years of your life your way. This is News Talk 98.7 WOKI. Today, we're going to talk about managing your money in today's volatile times. Uh, you know, the stock market is at all-time highs. And what does that mean for us? Does that mean we should not be investing the way we need to? Does that mean if we've been sitting on the sidelines, uh, we should not jump in because the market's at all-time highs? So we're going to get kind of into a lot of those things. We're going to talk about investing in today's world. What ultimately is your goal? What are you after with your investments? And are you investing to meet those goals? Uh, We're also going to understand risk and how to mitigate it. And I'm going to talk about what you may be underestimating is is maybe your biggest risk in retirement. And it's not market risk, in my opinion. Uh, we'll also talk about your estate plan. Is it airtight? Do you have all the legal documents you need in place? Have you made any mistakes? And then finally, how gifting can be a part of your retirement plan. Understanding our gifting rules when we give money to our kids or our grandkids. And also when we give to other causes, churches and charities. How can we do that in the most efficient way possible? with the rules that the Internal Revenue Code provides for us, which ultimately have been written by Congress, right, over the years. So we've got a great st- great show lined up. Let's, let's start with investing in today's world. What should you be focusing on with your investments? Is it to beat the market or to beat some index or is it to meet your goals? And if you really think about the three basic stages of your in your financial life there's the the stage of gain where you want to get earn money on your money and gain investment value build a, a nest egg so that you can one day be financially independent and that probably is going to mean at least a partial if not a full retirement so you want to gain more money and then when we get near retirement, we start thinking a little bit more about protecting our assets because we don't want to run out once we're retired. And then finally, once we're retired, we're going to start spending those assets. And it's fundamentally important to understand the difference when you're accumulating assets and investing into the market and trying to grow things and the difference between that phase and the phase when you start spending money and withdrawal. So you're going from a savings phase into a spending phase. And that does create challenges. But it also maybe creates changes in how we view our investments. You know, in the spending phase, 
many would say is the goal. I, I know I have many clients that would say, hey, spend the greatest amount of my hard-earned money while minimizing the risk I'll run out. That's the way a lot of people think. A lot of you may just be saying, you know, I don't really want to spend the maximum. I just want to live comfortably, do the things I like to do, and not worry about the money. And if I can leave a nice inheritance behind for my family, then that's great. Whatever your goal, and some of you may feel like you don't need to spend much of your money and you want to leave a great estate behind for your family. But whatever the goal is, I have found that investing to achieve an outcome is most critical in the spending phase. And the reason for that is because of market volatility and unpredictability. You know, the stock market over time has been the number one way to beat inflation. And with people living longer and longer lives, we have to be aware of that. You know, typically if you retire in your mid-60s, you're going to live 25 to 30 years of re- in retirement. Many people are surprised to hear that. Uh, but especially a married couple, you're looking at pushing close to 30 years of living in retirement. So you need that money to last a long time. You also need that income to grow uh, in order to fight inflation. But you don't know when the inevitable bad markets, the bear markets, are going to happen. What we do know is over long periods of time, at least historically, the stock market has been very effective at growing money and fighting inflation. What we don't know is what happens in the short term. We don't know what's going to happen this year or next year or even the year thereafter. The further out to the future we focus with stock market investing, the more expectation we can have that we're going to be successful because we have time on our side. You know, we've all heard you have to have time on your side to be successful in investing. That's true when you're investing and taking risk. You need time because we don't know when the next bear market is going to happen. If there's two things that I feel very confident about about the markets is that they are completely unpredictable. So in other words, nobody knows what's coming next. Uh, And they're highly volatile. They go up and down. They can go up and down drastically. So that makes investing for an outcome When we get into the spending phase, you know, what if there's a bear market in those first five years? That can be very devastating. And in the meantime, you're needing to spend money. So market volatility actually has a bigger impact on us when we're in the spending phase than when we're in the gain stage and we're accumulating and saving and and growing our money. So when we're young and we start out, a lot of times we're thinking, I just want to earn the maximum return that I can. We're thinking 30 years from now, very few people sit down and really put pen on paper and calculate inflation and say, how much of a nest egg will I need to replace my income? You're thinking, I just want to grow my investments and be smart. Um, So beating the market or beating an index or keeping up with the market is a more common goal that we see when people are in that accumulation phase. But then when you start getting closer to retirement and you start thinking about protecting your money, you start thinking more about the short-term impact 
of volatile markets. And so you start thinking about, hey, I want to make sure I can retire on my terms. You know, if the market, if you're, th- if you're, t- if you're a year from retirement, and then in, in the next six months, the market is down 40%, which is, by the way, the average bear market since 1900. And that happens about every eight years. So your year from retirement over the next six months, the market goes down 40%. If you lose 35, you've beaten the market, but do you feel like you're where you want to be? I mean, you may feel like, Jim, I can't retire now. So in other words, do you want to secure your ability to retire or be subject to short-term market volatility, which is completely unpredictable? So, and then, then when we're in that spending phase, we've got to have an income plan, which I'll talk more about in the next segment. We've got to have an income plan where we don't depend on the stock market in the short term because the stock market is completely unpredictable in the short term. So we start thinking about more accomplishing our outcomes that we desire, our goals. So it's more goals based. How can I generate the income I want? without shooting myself in the foot and running out of money in 20 years. So I think everybody, I'm a huge fan of goals-based investing and not just arbitrarily saying, I want to earn X or I want to beat the market or I want to beat this index or that index. Uh, I do think when we're younger and accumulating money, that does enter our thought process a lot more. And I think that's normal and I think that's reasonable. But as we get close to that retirement date and, and, and we're thinking about protecting your ability to retire on your terms, and then you start thinking about spending money and you need to, to limit the impact of short-term market volatility, you start to shift your thinking. And goals-based investing becomes more and more important. In other words, if the markets are completely unpredictable in the short term, yet provide the greatest protection against inflation in the long term, how do you make all that work when you're retired and you need income? So I think it's important to focus on goals-based investing as you're getting older and you're getting uh, closer and closer to that retirement date. Now, what does that mean? I mean, if you're 10 years out from retirement, how much should you be thinking about goals-based investing? Um, I, I think that's when you start probably thinking more about what's the income I'm going to need in 10 years. So when you're within 10 years to retirement, I think you have to start thinking and shifting more to a goals-based strategy if you haven't already. And certainly when you're within five years, it becomes critically important if you're already retired. It is, in my opinion, a must if you need any kind of income from your hard-earned life savings. So investing for an outcome, goals-based investing, becomes more and more important. If you, The three phases, you've got your gain phase, where you're gaining money, you've got your protect phase, you're protecting your ability to retire on your terms, and then you have the spend phase where you don't want to run out. So as you move on that journey, goals-based investing for an outcome, Goals-based investing becomes more and more critically important. Now, when we come back, we're going to talk about understanding your investment risks. And you may be surprised to learn what I feel like 
is certainly as big of a risk as stock market volatility and maybe even bigger when you look at the course of your entire retirement. So stay with us. This is More Living with Jim Brogan right here on News Talk 98.7 WOKI. Welcome back to News Talk 98.7's Brogan Financial Studios, where Jim Brogan is coming to you live with important news and advice to help you achieve your dream retirement. Get ready to learn and live. Here's your host, Jim Brogan. Welcome back. This is More Living here on News Talk 98.7 WOKI. I'm your host, Jim Brogan, and we're with you every Saturday from 9 to 10 a.m. and again from 3 to 4 p.m. Uh, you can catch all of our show's podcast on our website. Go to BroganFinancial.com and click on radio. You can also pull up our podcast on Spotify, uh, YouTube, pod, or excuse me, Apple Podcast, YouTube, uh, wherever you like. So we'd love for you to uh, take in our content as I try to equip you to make informed and prudent decisions financially that can impact the quality of your life in retirement and then in other areas as well. As we talk about health, fitness, community, we talk about national politics, try not to get too into the weeds with that, but things that are going on around us, all very, very important. Understanding your investment risks and how do you mitigate them and what are your greatest investment risks as you get within five to ten years of retirement and especially within five years of retirement, you actually retire. So usually when I ask people about risks in retirement, I get different answers. Usually the number one answer I get when I ask that question, what is your greatest risk to your money in retirement? I I hear stock market volatility. Uh, Probably a close second would be medical costs. Um, Certainly inflation would be an answer that I get often. So there are several things. Uh, Ultimately, though, there is one risk that drives all other risks, and it's longevity of life. The average retiree today is going to live 25 to 30 years in retirement. That is a long time for your assets to be able to provide income because you're not earning income. 25 to 30 years. So think about it. When we think about things like health care costs, Losing a lot of money in a stock market downturn, inflation, you know, the longer we live, the more that becomes an impact. We're going to see the longer we live, the more bear markets we're likely to see. The greater the inflation issue is, and certainly the greater the medical costs are. But ultimately, when we invest our money and look at actual investment risks, how would we rate those? And, and and market volatility is a very, very big risk. And maybe it's a 1A, 1B. But market volatility, if you're diversified, meaning you, you're not too heavily invested in one stock or one piece of real estate or one security, and you have a collection of investments that, you know, diversification ultimately means you have a whole lot of stuff that, you know, if one thing zigs, another zags. It also means if you have one thing, you know, if you own a mutual fund that has a 100 stocks, yeah, you're probably not diversified outside of the stock market. But within the stock market, you are in the sense that 
you know, if they own 100 stocks, any one of those stocks goes under or crashes, it's really not going to have too detrimental, a very detrimental effect on your portfolio. And that's what diversification does, is it spreads the risk out. So if one company or two companies or one sector in the industry goes under, it doesn't destroy you because you have a lot of other things too. Now, we also have to understand with diversification that, you know, that means you're not, you know, if, if I own a stock and it hits a home run, maybe I buy a small or a mid-cap stock or a growth stock and it really shoots up in value, I'm going to make a lot of money, even though I risk a lot of money if it fails. When I'm invested in a fund that has 100 stocks and spreads that risk out, yeah, the one company going belly up is really not going to have a material impact on me, but the one company shooting the moon is not going to have a real material effect on me either. So we get more predictability when we're diversified. And, you know, I mentioned investing for goals. What do you want your money to achieve as you get closer to retirement becomes more critically important, as I covered in that first segment. So diversification becomes even more critical. But stock market volatility, it is the biggest short-term risk in retirement. And But that's short-term risk. You've got to have a plan, in my opinion, to mitigate the impact of short-term volatility in retirement or immediately prior to returning, as I mentioned in that last segment. You know, if you're getting close to retirement, you're a year or two away, and the market goes down 40% and you lose 30 you may feel like that you can't retire anymore. You might have to work three or four more years. Well, that's not very productive. When we're 35 and the market goes down 40%, we're not nearly as concerned with our 401k, as an example. Not only do we have time on our side for the money to come back, Uh, We also are adding in investment while the market is down. We're taking advantage of market downturn because we're investing new money. That is not an opportunity we typically have in retirement to reinvest income when markets are down. That's a huge issue. So the short-term market volatility, which is a way of life in investing, is not something we really like in retirement. So We have to mitigate that, and I think the number one way to do that is to not depend on your risk investments for income in the short term. In my view, you need to have at least five to seven years' worth of money that you can draw from for income without selling off a stock or a mutual fund or or a security. That takes risk. Now, if you're getting stock dividends, I think it's fine to use that dividend yield as part of your income because you're not selling off shares. And if you have a good, strong stock that has a history of increasing dividends year after year after year, you know, if the stock price drops 30%, they're going to keep paying that dividend, hopefully. So you're not liquidating when it's down. You're giving it time to ride that out, and you're still getting your income. Uh, so I'm okay to use stock dividends for income as part of your income. Um, but you don't want to have to sell shares of an investment, whether it's a mutual fund or an ETF or a stock, that takes risk. Because then 
Markets are volatile and, and unpredictable in the short term. Inevitably, they'll be down, and when they're down, you're having to sell them off while they're down. And you'll ne- you'll spend that money, and it'll never ever recover because you spent it. You're going to compound your losses in the ne- in the bad market. That's not as nearly the risk that we have. When we're 40 years old, we don't have that risk. When we're 20 years from retirement. So it's the, the effect of short-term market volatility is certainly one of the top two risks in retirement, in my opinion, um, that, that is caused by longevity of life. But in the longer term, is that the case? As long as you can protect income in the short term, and you don't have to spend investment losses when markets are down. And you give you, your risk investment has time on its side. And you create time in your investment plan by not depending on that for income. As long as you do that, then your long-term risk is inflation. What are things going to cost in 20 years or in 15 years? And it's kind of interesting because the Fed says inflation is coming down. All of the economists say inflation is coming down. It's around 3%. Americans don't feel that way. Now, why do you not feel that way? Because the prices are still high. And you're compounding a 3% inflation rate on top of what just recently was an over an 8.5% increase in inflation. So everything got more expensive. And then in the last year, they've only gone up another 3%, but everything's already higher. So I think we've all seen the impact of inflation on our income over the past two years. And, you know, inflate, I don't expect inflation over the next 25 to 30 years in retirement to be what it's been the last two years. But I do expect, even with low inflation, it is a powerful opponent in the long term. What are things going to cost when you're 85? And remember... The average retiree, a married couple, is going to live 25 to 30 years. So in the short term, it is market volatility, but in the longer term, inflation. And the best way to beat inflation is to have a diversified risk-based portfolio, maybe not as aggressive as what you were doing when you were 37 or maybe even 47, because you don't have 20 or 30 years to recover. But if you... If you build in a good income plan that doesn't depend on the stock market or the risk investment to make to, to, for income in the short term, you can take some risk. Maybe not just be in the stock market, but be more diversified. Have more things that if if one thing zigs, another zags. And that way, if something like the stock market's way down, hopefully not everything's way down, so you minimize the impact of losses. Now, that's the last thing I want to touch on in this segment is the importance of minimizing losses, the impact of losses. That's a better way to say that. You need to understand what I call the cruel math of losses. If you have $100,000 and you lose 50%, now, remember in 2007 and 08 into early 09, the Great Recession, the market lost about 55%. Now, granted, that was somewhat of an anomaly, but it happened. The average bear market's over 40%. But if you lose 50%, so if you have 100,000, you now have 50,000. Now, if I have 50,000 and I want to get to 100, what do I have to make on that 50? 
I got to make 100% where I just lost 50. Well, that's very cruel math. I mean, how long does it take to make 100%? Now, if you lose 40%, you've got to make 67%. That is some still some very cruel math. Now, let's decrease those numbers. What if you lose 25%? If you lose 25%, to get back to break even, you have to make 33. Well, those, that, that math is not nearly as bad as losing 40 and needing to make 67. If you lose 20, you have to make 25. So in other words, as the amount of the loss decreases, the less cruel the math becomes. So it is critically important to understand the cruel math of losses as you get closer to and enter into retirement. And that's where you get more back onto that goals-based investing I talked about in the first segment. And you do that with more diversification, owning more things at zig and zag. That does mean, you know, if you're not going to lose as much when the market is inevitably down, it means you're probably not going to make as much when the market is booming. So it is a trade-off of risk and reward. But investing for an outcome to be able to have dependable income that does, that you do not outlive. You don't want to have life left at the end of the money. So to increase the likelihood you won't run out of money, it is important to understand the cruel math of losses. But inflation over a 20 to 30-year period is definitely 1B of risk, and a diversified risk portfolio is the best way, historically, to fight that battle. Now, when we come back, is your estate plan airtight? What are common mistakes we see with legal documents? Stay tuned. This is More Living with Jim Brogan, right here on News Talk 98.7 WOKI. Welcome back to News Talk 98.7's Brogan Financial Studios, where Jim Brogan is coming to you live with important news and advice to help you achieve your dream retirement. Get ready to learn and live. Here's your host, Jim Brogan. This is More Living with Jim Brogan, where it's all about living the best years of your life your way. You're listening to News Talk 98.7 WOKI. I do want to mention, Mississippi State has their next class, Thrive Financially in Retirement. And I'm the instructor for the class, and it is a two-night class on February the 27th and March the 5th. So that's coming up here two weeks from Tuesday. So two two-hour sessions, Pellissippi Hardin Valley, free parking. You can find out more at PellissippiRetirementPlanning.com. Both nights are 6.30 to 8.30 p.m. The course fee for one person is $59. For a married couple, it's 89 You can register with Pellissippi State. Uh, this website, PellissippiRetirementPlanning.com, gives you more information. And if I, as I look at the syllabus here, a lot of what I'm talking about on today's show we cover in that class, but it's it's really the seven main areas I think all retirees need to address and be aware of. Uh, one is tax planning, reducing taxes in the long haul. Another is Social Security election specifically. So we actually break out Social Security uh, in, in addition to income planning, because it is such a core component of income planning, I like to say that it's the most important election you'll vote on in retirement. Certainly protecting your life savings from the threat of health care catastrophe. Uh, the four legal documents every retiree needs to have. 
Then we also talk about protecting your life savings from investment mistakes. How do you invest in an uncertain climate? It's all about the income. How do you structure stable income in the short term that it increase in the long term? And finally, the missing estate plan, handling IRAs, 401ks, and other retirement accounts. So again, you can get more information at PellissippiRetirementPlanning.com. You can download the syllabus. That class is February the 27th and March the 5th. Those are two successive Tuesday evenings at Pellissippi State Hardin Valley. Again, PellissippiRetirementPlanning.com. Or you can call Pellissippi directly at 539-7167. That's 539-7167. Is your estate plan airtight? What are the key components of an estate plan? And where do people typically make mistakes? Now, I'm not an attorney. I am certified in estate and trust services. Um, so I do see and, 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 and have a lot of colleagues that are attorneys that we talk and, and see where do people trip up. First, do you need an estate plan? And my answer to that, because let's be honest, do you have a will? Do you have both powers of attorney? There's a medical power of attorney and a financial power of attorney. And that's for someone, your medical is for someone to make your medical decisions for you and you cannot. The financial power of attorney is for someone to pay your bills and administer your affairs when you cannot. So those two documents actually take care of you while you're alive. But they are part of your estate plan. I mentioned do you have a will and do you have a living will or an advanced medical directive? I call it death with dignity. You know, if, you have, if you're incapacitated and you have no hope for recovery, how do you want to pass on? And if you have a properly designated medical power of attorney, you don't have to have a, a living will. But I have found as people age, you know, what it does when you put your instructions in writing, your wishes, it takes the burden of that decision off your child's shoulders. So as people age, I have found my clients more and more like to have a living will. But, you know, I mentioned, do you have a will? I mean, I visit with people that are in their 60s and don't have their legal documents. Now, those people would say, when I say, do you need an estate plan? They'd say, well, heck, yeah, we do. But for you younger folks, I would say if you own something and you love somebody, you need an estate plan. Unfortunately, a lot of people think when it comes to estate planning, it's all about taxes. But if I drew a pyramid, and that whole pyramid was labeled estate planning, the very tip top of the pyramid, just the the small tip, would be tax planning. Uh, Certainly estate taxes. Now, below that would be the taxation on retirement accounts when you die which is income taxation. That is a more substantial issue. And if you have $10,000 in your IRA at death, your kids are going to pay income tax on $10,000. So, you know, a lot of times we think the estate tax exemption is over $13.5 million now per person that you can pass to your family with no estate tax. Now, it is getting cut roughly in half at the end of next year, but it's still going to be probably $7 million per person. But the income tax on your retirement accounts affects everybody. So, 
you know, I think that's what leads people thinking, do I really need an estate plan, Jim? I don't have a, t- a ton of money. I'm, I'm well under the estate tax exemption. Well, if you own something and you love somebody, you need an estate plan because you need to say who's going to get what, how's it going to be distributed, who's going to be in charge. How are, your, how, how are you going to be taken care of if you cannot take fully care of yourself, even if that's a temporary thing? So these are very, very important things. Now let's talk about the will. If you die without a will, then you're dying what's called intestate. You do not have a will. Now, what's the impact of that? Well, first, not all your assets are governed by your will. And that is probably the biggest fundamental mistake that I see in estate planning is understanding what does the will actually cover and what does it not cover. You know, if, if, if I jointly own my house with my wife, well, if I die, she owns the house. Her name is on it. So it doesn't matter what I have in my will because her name's on it. It's her asset. Likewise, if I have an account that has a, a designated beneficiary, I have a 401k at work. And I have named my wife as the primary beneficiary and my two children as the contingent beneficiaries. Well, if I die, if Dee Dee is still alive, she is the designated beneficiary. It is her account legally. It doesn't matter what I have in my will. So it is very important, and that's true with life insurance, anything at all where you designate a beneficiary. But you know what? We cannot in Tennessee designate a beneficiary for real property. Our, our collectibles, our values, certainly our house, our real estate. <clears throat> so the will's going to govern anything that doesn't have a beneficiary designated or that's not jointly owned. So first, understand what does it actually cover. But then if you die without a will, then whatever you have that is covered by the will is going to be governed by the state of Tennessee in terms of how it's distributed. The ten- Tennessee has rules. They follow a hierarchy. And they're going to follow that hierarchy. And you may say, well, that's what I would want, but I know plenty of people would not want to follow that hierarchy. So, and you have to probate an asset based upon where the asset is in terms, especially with real estate. So if you have, you know, if you live in East Tennessee and you have a beach condo in South Carolina, the condominium will have to be probated in South Carolina. And then your home will be half probated in Tennessee. So that, that does start to get more sticky, having to probate in multiple states. I'll talk about that in just a second. Um, but everybody needs an estate plan and understanding what the will covers and what it doesn't, and then keeping those up to date. How long has it been since you updated your legal documents? How long has it been since you got them out and read them? You know, if you haven't read your your Will, four or five years, you need to get it out and read it. You need to reach out to your attorney to see, hey, do I need to change anything? Have there been any changes in the laws in the last four or five years? And and the answer is yes. Uh, the biggest change, most substantial change, is the change in how retirement accounts must be distributed at your death. Your IRA, your 401k, your 403b, all those rules changed. And how that is in court. Now, you may have named beneficiaries on those accounts, And therefore not controlled by the will, as I said. But it complicates matters in terms of coordinating that with your will. 
Now, that doesn't mean you need to change anything, but you certainly need to ask your attorney. So keeping them up to date would be another major mistake. And then finally, do you need a trust? And I mentioned the challenge earlier of if you have property in multiple states, you really don't want to have to probate in multiple states. And then I have some people come in and say, Jim, I don't want any probate. I don't even want to deal with probate in Tennessee. So the only way to get real property to your kids or, or anyone other than a spouse that's not that's not jointly named on the asset. And you do not want to put your child's name on your house. There are a lot of reasons for that. There are a lot cleaner ways to accomplish that. Um, and, and unfortunately, that's a, that's a topic for another show. Uh, but the only way to get real assets, real property to, to, any, to, to anyone that's not a joint owner, like your kids and grandkids, is to use what's called a living trust, a revocable living trust. When you put things in a revocable living trust, the trust document will now dictate who gets what and not the will. It is important to understand if, if your will governs anything at all that you're passing to your family, it's going through probate. Probate in Latin actually means prove the will. So if it's controlled by the will, it's going into probate. So what a lot of people do is they don't want that. They don't want to deal with probate, so they want everything to either have a name beneficiary or be jointly titled, especially with their spouse. Uh, or put it into a revocable living trust. And when it, and it's revocable, so you can take it right back out. In a, in a living trust, you are all three parties of what are typically parties to a trust. That means you're the grantor of the trust, which means you put the house or the property into the trust. You are the trustee of the trust, which means you're in control. You make all decisions. And then you're also the beneficiary, so you can take it right back out. Um, now, do you know, need to go spend three or $4,000 for a living trust if the only thing you're going to pass in probate is your house? Maybe not. Uh, Tennessee's probate process is fairly simple compared to most states, but it's something to be discussed with your team of professionals. That is one thing we help our clients with. Now, again, we do, we're not attorneys. We do not draft trusts, uh, but we work closely with either your attorney or we can recommend attorney that we work closely with to make sure your ensure your wishes are met. And you know what? That all the dots are connected. That whatever legal documents do you do, they match up with your beneficiary designations. How do you have your assets titled? Are they in your name? Are they in joint name or in a, in a trust? We make sure to connect all the dots. Uh, okay, when we come back, we're going to talk about how gifting can be part of your retirement plan, both in terms of tax-free gifts to your kids and your family, and also maximizing not only the impact of your charitable contributions for the charities, for the people you're trying to serve, but also minimizing your taxes. So stay with us. This is More Living with Jim Brogan here on News Talk 98.7 WOKI. Welcome back to News Talk 98.7's Brogan Financial Studios, where Jim Brogan is coming to you live with important news and advice to help you achieve your dream retirement. Get ready to learn and live. Here's your host, Jim Brogan. Thanks for tuning in to More Living This Week, right here on News Talk 98.7 WOKI. I'm Jim Brogan. We're with you every Saturday, 9 to 10 a.m. and again, 3 to 4 p.m. 
You can catch all our podcasts either on our website at broganfinancial.com or on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. My next class is Pellissippi State Community College. It is Thrive Financially in Retirement. It's a two-part adult education on Tuesdays, February the 27th and March 5th at their Hardin Valley location. You can go to com for more information and to download a syllabus. And do check us out online at broganfinancial.com. We have a wealth of resources. We are also, at this time, accepting complimentary consultations, either by phone. Uh, we'll start off with a brief 10-, 15-minute phone conversation. Then if you'd like, we're happy to have you come into our office and meet with us and discuss your goals and your needs. How gifting can be a part of your retirement plan. It's important to understand how we can give money to people that we love. So let's start with gifting to our kids, our grandkids, whomever. Now, first off, when you give money to a spouse, um, we can give unlimited amounts of money to our spouse uh, as long as our spouse is a legal U.S. citizen. So that part's fairly easy. Now, you should understand if you, if you, the one thing you shouldn't give to your spouse is a retirement account. Because if I have a $100,000 IRA and I give it to my spouse, that is a taxable distribution. So either I or her would have to, actually I would have to pay the income tax and then give her the money. Uh, but gifts to spouses are easy. It's, it's everybody else. Um, so you can give in 2024, you can give $18,000 to somebody, anybody, without any gift tax implication, without filing any piece of paper. It's just completely easy. You just write a check. Now, a married couple can give 36000 right? So those are some pretty high numbers. They just went up $1,000 per person this year. So 18,000 per per, you can give 18 to each person and a married couple can give 36. So if, so if you had two kids and you're married, you could give 36,000 to one child and 36,000 to the other. And there is no tax on the gift and no paper to file. And you can do that every, every uh, calendar year. I am a fan of gifting if you can afford it. If it fits into your financial plan and it's been evaluated and you have an income plan that can support it. Because I love seeing you be able to impact people while you're still alive instead of it all happening when you're gone. The key is, it sounds great, but you have to be able to afford it. So that's where your income plan, you know, you don't want to give, give too much away early on and then you end up running out of money. But that's how the gifting rules work. Now, if you want to give more than 36000 or more than $18,000 per person or thirty six for a married couple, then you do have to file a return and claim. You don't have to pay a tax, but you have to claim that against your estate tax exclusion at death, which, as I said, is currently $13.6 million. Now, the other thing I want to talk about with gifting is charitable contributions. There are two things that you want to keep in mind uh, that I think uh, are most important. One, Who's the charity you're wanting to benefit? How efficient are they with your money? And a great resource for that is Charity Navigator, charitynavigator.org. You can go there and they give ratings on charities up to four-star. 
how efficient are they with the money? If you give them $100, how much of the $100 is going to benefit the people that, or the causes that you want to benefit versus paying for overhead or marketing or whatever? And some charities are going to be a little bit lower because they spend a lot in marketing, and I think that's okay because uh, that's how they raise money as long as they're pretty lean after they do that. Um, and then the second part is making the, mit, ma- the maximum impact on our income taxes. In other words, minimizing our income taxes. And the best thing to give to a church or charity is an asset that you've not paid the tax on. That would be your retirement account if you're over 70 and a half. You can only do it if you're over 70 and a half. Uh, you can do that without it being a taxable distribution. Or an appreciated asset like a stock. If you've got a stock that's up in value and you give it to a church or charity, not only do you do you get the tax deduction, you also do not have to pay the capital gain on the, on the stock. So gifting assets that you've never paid all the tax on. This week we've discussed your wealth because greater wealth provides for more living so you can live the best years of your life your way. Many thanks to Jennifer for engineering the show. Thank you to Jill for helping produce the show. We'll talk to you next week. Have a very blessed weekend. This is More Living with Jim Brogan, only on the News and Talk of East Tennessee, News Talk 98.7 WOKI. The views expressed by Jim Brogan and his guests are not that of Cumulus Media. Any discussion of financial, legal, and tax planning strategies is not intended to be individualized advice and is general in nature. Always consult with your advisor for advice specific to your needs. This program's content does not represent a recommendation of any particular security, strategy, or investment by Jim Brogan or Brogan Financial Incorporated.